0: Tick Tick Stuff
1: 2020 Election Podcast. No Mai Harimai Ke Tick Tick Stuffs 2020 Election Podcast. Moteramere, Feringa Onuku Ruoturu Tako. That's Friday, October the 30th. Call Adam Dunning, Tene.
0: Call Eugene Bingham, Tene. a Koto Katoa. Oh, hang on. Wait a minute. It's our boss, Patrick. Hi, Patrick.
2: What
0: are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah, okay, look, we should be gone by now, we know that,
1: because the New Zealand election's over and all that, but we've just realised that our introductory sting, stuff 2020, election, podcast, doesn't specify, which election.
3: Ugh.
0: There are five days till the US presidential election.
1: Okay, so we launched Tick Tick on the 4th of August, and this is episode number 28, which means we took 27 episodes to explain and report on the New Zealand election. And now, because of a rush of blood to the head, we've decided to switch horses and explain and report on the US election instead.
0: Yeah, and if you think about it, in per capita terms, there are 69 times more Americans than New Zealanders, so really... We should be planning for about 1,863 episodes of US election coverage. But US election is actually next Tuesday, Wednesday, New Zealand time. So instead
1: of doing 1,800-odd episodes, we're going to do just the one. Just one odd episode. It's going to be action-packed. We'll do some US election 101, how it works, what's at stake, yada, yada. And then we'll bring you a couple of interviews. One with Dr. Maria Armudian, a lecturer in politics and international relations at the University of Auckland. And the other is with columnist and journalist Tracy Barnett, a Kiwi
0: American who fills us in on the flavor and colour of the US election process.
1: But before we board our Imaginary 737 to Washington, we need to take care of just a few remaining matters back here in Aotearoa. So, Eugene, what's been happening in New Zealand? Well, later today, that's Friday, October the
0: 30th at 2pm to be precise, we're going to learn the results of the referendums Referenda on cannabis and euthanasia. Remember, the Electoral Commission didn't count the votes on election night because they didn't want to get distracted from getting out the general election results nice and fast.
1: Next week, Friday, November 6th, we'll hear final election results, so that will include all the special votes, the overseas votes, votes cast by people who registered on the day or voted outside of their electorate, those kind of things. This year, there were more than 480,000 special votes, it's about 17% of the total votes cast. So traditionally, the counting of the special votes has led to small changes in the final shape of the House. So it could alter results in some of those tight seats. Wairiki, for example, where the Māori Party's Rawari Waititi had an election night margin of just 400 over Labour's tamate Coffee.
0: The other thing that's still up in the air is the relationship between Labour and the Greens. Because of Labour's outright majority, they don't need the Greens to form a government, but they're still kind of chummy and have a bunch of compatible goals, so they're all talking about exactly how chummy they want to be. It looks like we won't know the details, ministerial posts outside Cabinet, a Green Labour Coalition netball team perhaps,
1: until next week. Oh, and one last thing. Remember ParityBot? That was the team of programmers we talked to who had made an AI robot that looked out for nasty tweets aimed at women politicians and then balanced them out with the same number of positive tweets. Well, they came back to us after election night with some updates. So... Over the whole New Zealand election, they checked 200,000 tweets sent to female candidates, and they ID'd 4,000 of those as toxic. 1,000 of them on election night alone. And the three top targets of those toxic tweets were Jacinda Ardern, Judith Collins, and Chloe Swarbrick. Oh, and also, they've now launched ParityBot US. All right, on to the American presidential election. Let's start with the basics. Eugene, who's voting? That would be US citizens over 18. In the 2016 election,
0: that meant 250 million people were eligible and 140 million people actually voted. That's a 55% turnout.
1: Right, so this time, who are they voting
0: for? Well, essentially, one of these two guys in their 70s who both like to endorse election ads.
1: I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. I'm Joe Biden. And I approve
2: this message.
1: Okay, maybe a little bit more information on each. Who is Trump?
0: Donald J. Trump, age 74. He was born in New York in 1946, son of an extremely wealthy property developer, Fred Trump, and his homemaker wife, Mary. Donald J. has at various times been a property developer, a golf club owner, a beauty pageant proprietor, a repeat bankrupt, a reality TV star. You're fired. You're fired. Oh, and he's been president of the United States for the past three and a half years. You may have heard of him. All right. Who's Biden? Joseph... Robinette Biden Jr. is 78, meaning if he wins, he'll be the oldest president ever. He was born in Pennsylvania in 1942, son of a homemaker, Gene, and used car salesman Joe Sr. He was a lawyer, then a state senator. He served as Barack Obama's vice president from 2008. Also of note is that he's endured some major personal tragedies. His daughter and first wife died in a car crash. His son, Beau, died of brain cancer. Right.
1: When do Americans vote?
0: Easy. Election day is Tuesday, November the 3rd. That's Wednesday in New Zealand. Though tens of millions of people have already been voting early, which is why for weeks we've been seeing those videos of people queuing up around the block to vote. What else happens on American election day? Well, on election day, you don't just vote for the president. In fact, when my American friend Dave from Florida voted in the New Zealand election recently, he was shocked, I tell you. Shocked. This is what he said to me. The New Zealand voting paper? What? I mean, I got it there. It was all, you know, only had four things to vote on. You know, back in America, if I was in Florida, I'd have over 16 different things to tick boxes on. That was just really disappointing. It only took me like a minute. Yeah, so as Dave says, there's so much more in the American ballot. First of all, there are the vice presidents that come on the presidential ticket. So when you vote for Trump, you're actually voting for Trump for president and Mike Pence for vice president.
3: We will make America great again. Again.
0: And if you vote for Biden, you're actually voting for Biden for president and Kamala Harris for
1: vice president.
3: Donald Trump's failure of leadership has cost lives and livelihoods.
1: But there's more to it than that, right? Yeah, because
0: on top of the presidential stuff, they use the same day to vote for the representatives and senators from their states as well. Those are the folk who they send off to Washington to yell at each other in the House of Representatives, which is kind of like New Zealand's parliament. And in the Senate, there's no New Zealand equivalent to them. They're kind of similar to the House of Lords in the UK, the upper of two parliamentary chambers.
1: So that means from a single election, you might get a new president, a new House of Representatives and a new Senate, right? Yes, but all 435 House seats are up for
0: election. That's kind of like MPs in New Zealand. Those elections happen every even numbered year, whether there's a presidential election or not. But in the Senate, which has 100 senators, it's a bit different. Senators serve a six-year term, but every two years, one-third of their seats go up for election, which means that this year, 35 of the 100 Senate seats will be on ballots around the country.
1: Eugene, this is quite complicated. Yes,
0: but I'm not even done yet, because you're also invited to vote for more local matters, councillors, judges, district representatives, and lord knows what else.
1: Sounds a bit like those awful forms in New Zealand's local elections where you vote for Dozens of district health board members you've never heard of, so you always choose the ones with the silliest names. I think that's just you, Adam.
0: But yes, it is a bit like that. And then, on top of that, depending on where you're voting, there's every chance that there will also be some referendum-style questions on the ballot as well. You know, things like cannabis reform or a new state flag, and sometimes for stuff that's rather less interesting. I mean, in Massachusetts this year, voters are being asked if they want a law that will, and I quote provide motor vehicle owners with expanded access to wirelessly transmitted mechanical data related to their vehicles maintenance and repair.
1: Do you ever think, Eugene, that America might actually have more democracy than it really needs? That may be the case.
0: Hey, I think it's time we talk to an actual American, someone who really, really knows this stuff.
2: Maria Armudian.
1: Yeah, so Maria is a lecturer in politics and international relations at the University of Auckland. She's an author and a broadcaster. She's worked in the California State Legislature and studied and taught in California before coming to New Zealand in 2014. She's also a songwriter and musician and is the host of a podcast about the US elections called The Americans. Hi, Maria. Hello, Adam. So look, I'm always struck by the way the United States has proudly branded itself as some sort of wellspring of democracy. But when you see those videos of voters queuing around the block or learn about the deep history of gerrymandering and vote suppression, that branding starts to look a bit hollow. So, and sorry, this is such a leading question, why are American elections so messed up?
2: So there are many, many complications. Some of them are tied to U.S. history. Um, you know, the early days of the U.S. Republic did have um, riots and and the whole reason why there is a constitution was partly because of those riots. And that changed it from the original governance program into what it is today. What it is today is essentially 50 countries within a country and elections and how they are run are done in the States. This is why you've got so many different rules and regulations around voting. Some of that has over the course of time been kind of regulated in terms of those efforts that were um, highly racist. And that the Supreme Court at the time, in the 60s, was striking down a lot of these, what we might consider today, irregular laws. We don't really have a Supreme Court that is strong in that way right now. And so there have been a whole series of new election laws. Don't ask me to go through all of them uh, state by state that are, I would say, limiting in terms of uh, people's ability to vote. A couple of them I can just talk about, which is voter ID, right? So there are some of these places are requiring voters to have ID with precise names and addresses and things that, you know, my voter identification name is my full name, first name, middle name, last name, but I don't even use my first name most of the time. And so I had to go back and look. You know, Did I have my first name on there? Did I leave it off? Did I use my initial? So those types of things are one thing. But now with the pandemic, that's what's really added to this complication, which is people in some cases feel like they're risking their lives. Some states aren't allowing for mail-in voting or they are, but they're limited. When can they count them? They have to cut it off at a certain time. The Supreme Court said, okay, that's what's happening.
0: Okay. So turning to the 2020 election and From this distance, we hear a lot of anti-Trump sentiment, but looking at the polls, it's not out of the question that he could win. That's right. So a naive question might be, how is it even possible?
2: (laughs) Well, the polls, first of all, polls are imperfect, so you can't always get a completely accurate picture. Look, the United States is highly divided right now, and I have been watching it divide for quite some time. I wrote a book back in 2010 called Kill the Messenger, The Media's Role in the Fate of the World. And what I I started the thing with what's happening in the United States, which is there are these silos in which people believed at that time that Obama was the Antichrist, for example. Um, all of these completely insane beliefs. That has grown to such a pitch now and expanded into communities where you would have never expected it to expand. Some of that's conspiracy theory, but it all sort of got its start with the shock jocks that gained fame in the 1990s and grew their brand through spewing hate and outrage specifically targeted at racial minorities. And believe it or not, the Democrats are going to ruin your country. They are terrorists. They're evil. And you know, you can only hear this so many times. and if you're if this is all you hear and is selective framing, people start to believe that and they think Trump is the hero. Mm.
0: On the other side, the the Democrats who, who who's supporting Biden? And by the way, is Biden the best that the Democrats could come up with really? <laughs>
2: <laughs> look, the thing about Joe Biden, it's funny, one of my colleagues, Steve Hoadley, said this at, an, at a debate event that we did together. Professor is, um, he's been around much longer than I have. And he said, look, Joe Biden reminds me of the time when the United States elected Eisenhower. You know, Eisenhower didn't do anything really, but America was ready for that. Right. They were tired of this drama and the you know, fast moving train that they couldn't keep up with. And they just wanted an elderly man who would not do all that much. Now, in Biden's defense, he's not just that. Now, I didn't vote for him in the primary, but I did give him some thought because he was the candidate that I thought could potentially bridge across This divide that has become so polarized in the United States and exacerbated by the guy I call the divider in chief, who's made it worse and worse. Joe Biden was the only candidate I thought could really solidly do that. I still didn't vote for him in the primary, but I welcome him as a moderate guy to put the country back on track if he wins the election.
0: What are the strategies and tactics that the candidates are using to win votes?
2: Joe Biden's main pitch has been uh, decency, and I think that that is a a, a real contrast to some of the things that people have heard from Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump continues to use fear across all of his tactics. Both of them use a little bit of fear, of course, you know, Mm. um, what's going to happen if the other guys get selected? But, you know, it's if you were just going to summarize them like that, I'd say, um, you know. Anger and fear from Donald Trump and a little bit of that from uh, Joe Biden. But to just keep saying, look, you know, if you want to entrust a guy who's so mismanaged a pandemic so that everybody across the country knows somebody who's been affected, you know, it's not going to look good in the future.
1: COVID has made a mess of the whole world, but particularly so in the U.S., Coronavirus is almost like another character in the, in the whole election. What influence has it had and, and will it have in these last five days?
2: Now, uh, I heard Jack Tame say at the same uh, debate event that I mentioned my colleague, Professor Hoadley, talking about a friend of his who's, who lost an auntie, buried an auntie to COVID and was still voting for Donald Trump. Mm. And so there is that as one possibility, but there are other people who are thinking uh, if they look beyond their borders, and not all people do in a country the size of the United States, they can go, oh, maybe it didn't have to be this way. Now, remember that the United States election is decided not by masses of people so much as a few people. You know, it's a few people in a few swing counties that then end up swinging a state. And so what what either of them has to do is peel off those people, and those counties to then get the state's electoral college votes.
1: Look, So one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you specifically was to help non-Americans like us understand why the election should matter to them. So apart from the irresistible, horrifying, soap opera, reality show, drama of it all, why does this election matter to the world?
2: Boy, it really matters. You know, the United States has played such a key role in in foreign affairs, everything from war and peace all the way down to climate change and public health. When Donald Trump became the uh, president of the United States, you automatically saw him pulling away from things that the previous administration had put into place, whether it was the climate agreements, the Paris Accords. Uh, pulling money out of the World Health Organization, pulling money out of the United Nations, and then buddying up with people who we might consider uh, authoritarian rulers. And so I think what we're facing as a world right now, uh, first of all, with climate change and, and public health, is truly scary. You know, we're down here at the bottom of the world and we're a little bit safe from the pandemic, though if it continues this way, of course, it affects our tourism and everything else. Climate change is really going to affect us. It already is. You know, Auckland's been in a drought. It's it's going to affect food and water and fires and storms um, and economies. And then, of course, if the rest of the world ends up in, in deep trouble, which it will, where are the refugees going to go? You know, there's going to be mass migration, uh, climate refugees, conflict refugees, because everybody relies on natural resources. And then if you've got uh, the United States run by a guy who likes to buddy up with dictators or authoritarians, where does that leave us here in New Zealand? I think these are really scary times. If you look at the kind of alliances and, you know, the movements you see, of course, China in the, China Sea and then moving across um, the global south in terms of its uh, public diplomacy then you also see Turkey uh, mass another mass human rights abuser trying to remake an Ottoman Empire and then you've got the United States so it's just it's really a time when we've got to care what our other countries do
1: does it Automatically follow that if Biden wins, though, America will re-engage with those institutions and with the world and unwind whatever whatever it is that Trump has done or or stop whatever Trump has started.
2: Nothing is guaranteed. But at least I think with Biden, you have a thoughtful guy who has... um, been around for a very long time. He will listen to scientists regarding climate change. He will listen to scientists regarding global pandemics or other public health issues. He will listen to foreign policy experts to make decisions rather than just buddying up with authoritarians because they are like him, if that makes sense. So look, nothing is perfect and nothing is easy in terms of politics. There's so many moving parts that all kinds of things can happen. But you at least want somebody who wants what's good for humanity. And I think that Joe Biden does not want, you know, to be a nationalist authoritarian. I think he really does care about, you know, that the planet goes on and understands that these are all interconnected. I don't think Donald Trump understands any of this.
0: In terms of the relationship between our two countries, Jacinda Ardern is always diplomatic when asked about Trump. Does it matter if the leader leaders of our two countries like or respect each other?
2: <laughs> it's hard to say, isn't it? Mm. Uh, look, she's she's a remarkable uh, diplomat, and um, the entire planet has noticed. But I think with somebody like Donald Trump, you know, he's also noticed and rails against. New Zealand from time to time, New Zealand you may have heard this it 's over it 's over for New Zealand everything 's gone they 're beautiful. They had a massive breakout yesterday uh, you know a little bit of jealousy, I think perhaps, so yeah, it probably matters, but it 's hard to say how much it 's hard to see to say how far um, niceties can go
0: mm. Just circling back to that idea of the the polarization, it seems from this distance the only way that opponents are really communicating is by sort of yelling at each other and we see footage of of rallies that are very sort of angry. But what's it like on the ground among the real American people?
2: You know, it's really hard for me to say that sitting here and not being able to go. But I have heard from people, um, they're really frightened about what's happening to their country. Mm. They're, they're scared. And it, I think it is a scary time. Has it always been this way?
0: I mean, you, you worked inside American politics at the state level in California. So what was it like? I mean, Democrats and Republicans have always been on opposite sides, but did they used to get along better than they do now? Uh,
2: yes, there used to be much more cordiality uh, across the aisle working together. When I worked in the California legislature, I worked with Republicans on legislation. There were points of disagreement where you were never going to meet minds, but there was never a hostility like what we're witnessing today. You heard me say, I attribute a big part of this to some legal changes that then enabled these shock jocks to be on a thousand radio stations. And then you've got the Fox News thing, and then that led to this um kind of silo or echo chamber. People get addicted to their own negative emotions whether it's fear, anger, outrage, or hate even. Hearing these same things and getting angrier that people are destroying their country. I've lost people to this uh, so that I can't talk to them. There were also other factors. I have a a good friend who teaches at the University of Texas at Austin who wrote a book called The Gingrich Senators uh, where he talks about how the polarization in Congress, you know, kind of the bomb throwing, and that sort of deteriorated over time. So then you've got questions about whether you're talking about the, the media personalities, or you're talking about leadership personalities, which came first, it's hard to know, but it's definitely come to a fevered pitch where it's a very divided country.
1: Right, so a lot of the stuff predates Trump by by quite a long time, you're saying you're going back to even the, the 90s with the rise of the, the right-wing shock jocks. But Trump in particular has, has pulled out the Putin and Berlusconi autocrat playbook around media to attack and undermine and subvert and, and get round media. Do you feel he's managed to take it further than it already was?
2: Absolutely. Um, and there have been studies that show that when he tweets anti-Muslim rhetoric, uh, hate crimes increase against Muslims. Because you don't normally have a president who thinks he's president of only his own supporters. You know, president's supposed to be president of the entire country. So it's, yeah, it's made it worse.
1: There's that word that keeps on coming up that America is a powder kick, you know, around the Black Lives Matter protests and around some of the state versus federal response to COVID the Lions Division, you know, are are on the street, not just in the media and not just in the Congress. Not wanting to be excessively apocalyptic, but is there a scenario in which the election is a spark which blows the whole thing up?
2: It is so hard to predict, so that is one scenario, and it's possible. Look, you know, we just saw um, a group of people trying to kidnap a a governor of a state, and what are they going to do? Kill her? Potentially. This is not completely new. You may remember when Gabby Giffords was shot. You know, there have been other incidents where there have been racist violence against um, either the politicians, or there's one that I had cited in that book I told you, I wrote 10 years ago, where a guy shot up the Universalist Unitarian Church because he couldn't get to the Congress members and he said this in his manifesto, they were ruining his country, and so he was trying to kill all the people who supported them. Yes, it could get very bad. Will it? I suppose it just depends on if leadership can quell the fear, because so much of this is coming from fear.
0: Yeah, fear is a word that we hear a lot around the election, isn't it? Okay, Maria, finally, maybe a bit more of a hopeful tune, perhaps, You're a songwriter and a musician. (laughs) So if this election was a song, what would it be?
2: Well, if I were going to be an optimist, maybe I would say it would be "Imagine." (laughs) And if I were going to be a pessimist, I would probably say something like, well, it's the end of the world as we know it. (laughs) But it's uh, hard to say. It's really hard to say.
0: Yeah, the last verse is yet to be written. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. So it was interesting to hear Maria talk about how just a few states and even a few counties can change the outcome of the election. That's because of the Electoral College. Adam, you've been studying it. Go.
1: If by studying you mean Googling, yes. Yes. Anyway, so if you think New Zealand's MMP is a bit fancy and confusing, with all its Saint-Lagu formulas and all that, then America's Electoral College takes it to the next level. In fact, an explanatory song from Jack Buchanan really wouldn't have gone amiss.
0: Mixed member MMP,
1: it's the system but, sadly, America doesn't have Jack, so we'll have to do. Works. Here's the guts. When Americans vote in a presidential election, they're not actually voting directly for the presidential ticket of pres plus vice-pres. They're voting for a bunch of people called electors. Now, each state has a specific number of electors, which is roughly linked to the population of the state. So big old California gets 55, while Alaska gets only three, for example. All up, there are a total of 538 electors across the country, anyway. Those 538 people are collectively known as the Electoral College. It's not like a regular college, Eugene, with teachers and basketball courts. It's just 538 rather special people whose job is to then cast votes on behalf of their state for the president later, sometime in mid December. And whoever gets 270 or more of those votes from the electors of the Electoral College, 270 is the magic number because it's the majority, that's your president. So there are quite a few weird things that come out of this voting method. And perhaps the most famous weird thing is that the maths of it all means it's quite possible for a candidate to win a majority of those 538 electoral college votes, even though the votes of the American public overall actually favoured the other candidate. It's happened five times that we know of in American history, including in 2016. And trust me, Donald Trump really, really hates it when people remind him that more Americans voted for Hillary Clinton than for him. Which is part of the reason he keeps telling lies about there being widespread fraudulent voting that year.
0: Anyway... Hang on, you say that's weird, Adam, but you're so old that you've actually voted in New Zealand back when it operated under first-past-the-post, which meant that it was quite common for a party to become the government by winning the most electorates in New Zealand, even though they hadn't won the most votes. So... That's just what happens sometimes when voters get counted in chunks rather than as individuals. It might sound unfair, but everyone knows how the system works before they start, and it was actually really common in other countries too, before proportional representation got trendy.
1: This is all true. But the weirdnesses of America's electoral college don't end with the winner-losers, the popular vote thing. Because there's also this, there's no centrally fixed method for deciding how those electoral college votes will actually get cast so some states just donate all their electoral college votes to the candidate who is most popular in their state you know winner takes all but a couple of states subdivide themselves into smaller pieces and let the votes in each smaller piece determine where the electoral college votes go and most bizarrely of all there's a thing called the faithless elector that's an elector who turns up on the big day in mid-december and instead of casting their vote based on what all the people in their state did they just do whatever the hell they like it doesn't happen often. But it does happen. Okay, that is properly weird. There's some other cute stuff about the Electoral College that's kind of interesting but not particularly important. You know, on that day in December, each state has a mini gathering for... It's electors and they tick boxes or write on pieces of paper and then there are special certificates. Six copies are made from each state and they get posted around the country to the archivist and the president of the Senate and here and there and stored in special mahogany boxes and all that sort of thing. Hmm, but to be fair, that kind of traditional stuff's
0: not exactly any stranger than the traditions of any new New Zealand parliament, is it? I mean, there are the writs and the usher of the black rod banging on the door and the ceremonial unboxing of the Winston Peters and all that.
1: This is true. Anyway, I think it's... More than enough on the subject of the Electoral College. And I'm sorry, American political geeks, I'm not even going to try to explain what happens with the electors from the District of Columbia. Anyway, Eugene, you can do the next bit. All
0: right, so the Electoral College is particularly important in the context of the so-called swing states, which are sometimes called the battleground states. It's always struck me as a weird name
1: the battleground.
0: Hmm, yeah. How can I explain it? Okay, think of the New Zealand context when we were talking about the the first-past-the-post system before, those days prior to MMP. So under first-past-the-post, when whoever had the most seats in Parliament could form the government, in any election there would be a bunch of electorates which would traditionally go to national, a bunch that would traditionally go to Labour, and then in the middle would be seats that swung between the two parties, depending on the mood of the country. National one
1: election, Labour the next, and so on. Right, so if Nationals say could pick up those seats in the middle, combined with the ones they could always rely on, they'd get enough seats overall to form a government.
0: Exactly. So, in the US, the swing states are the ones which flip between Democrats and Republicans, or which are usually one or the other, but remain vulnerable to the other side. In this election, it's generally agreed that there are 8 to 10 states like this which are seen as critical. Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Michigan, Minnesota, North Carolina, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin.
1: I'm counting. You said 8 to 10. That's 8. Oh, yeah. Hang on.
0: Did I say Texas? Nope. Oh. Okay. Texas and Ohio. Right. Okay. So of those states, some of them are ones which have a really huge number of electoral college votes. 38 in Texas, 29 in Florida, 20 in Pennsylvania, for instance. Remember that some smaller states have only 3 or 4 votes.
1: But wait a minute. California's even bigger than that. It has
0: 55 votes. Sure. But remember, California is the opposite of a swing state. Since the late 1980s, it has reliably voted Democrat, so no one wastes their time even thinking about where those 55 electoral
1: college votes will go. Right. So those swing states, which also have lots of electoral college votes, they're the juicy targets for anyone who wants to win the election. Precisely.
0: So that's why everyone keeps a close eye on them. Take Florida, for instance. It was critical in 2000. That year, George W. Bush basically became the president rather than Democrat Al Gore because of a 540-vote difference in Florida.
3: All right, we're officially saying that Florida is too close to call because And in
0: 2016, when early results in the night showed Trump, not Hillary Clinton, was going to take Florida, it sent Democrats into a panic. She had the popular vote under control. She ended up with 3 million more votes than Trump overall but because of the way those swing states with the big electoral college votes went, states like Florida, she lost to Trump.
1: Hmm. And you just said that Florida is one of those important ones again this year. Yeah,
0: it's one of the states where there's a huge scrap going on between the candidates.
1: Hence, a battleground state. Bingo. You know, after all that, perhaps we could just play some music to give everyone a break from the complexities of swing state electoral college votes.
0: Love it. What about this? Every four years we vote for a new president We cast
1: our votes for my favourite candidate But popular vote does not decide the election Wow, does that's really horrible. And also I'm pretty sure it was a song about the Electoral College, so not much of a break. Thanks, Eugene. Alright, it was indeed called the Electoral
0: College song and it was by someone called Jam Campus, which doesn't really sound like a name, but what about this? Who are the electors? They're the ones who
2: elect
1: Mm, I see a pattern here.
0: Mm, Busted again. It was marginally less bad, though, right? It was from They Might
1: Be Giants, who are a real band, at least. It was called Who Are the Electors. I rather like They Might Be Giants, but no, sorry, that really sucked as well. Seriously, paging Jack Buchanan. There is an opportunity here—a global opportunity that should not be missed. Or come on down, Matt Lucas. Seriously, do what the. F- has Matt Lucas got to do with the US election?
0: Nothing, I just love the song.
1: Baked potato changed my life. Baked potato showed me the way. Thank you, baked potato. I really regret bringing up this idea of a musical interlude and I'm calling time on it. Let's talk about the issues. So look, really, isn't there just one, you know, do you like Donald Trump or not like Donald Trump. You say that but look there's much more to it than that isn't there? There's the whole coronavirus
0: pandemic and how that has and will be handled.
1: Yeah and of course Trump himself and seemingly half the White House staff actually
0: got mean, it. President Trump has tweeted saying that he and the first lady have tested positive... And then there's the issue of racism, particularly in relation to policing, the whole Black Lives Matter movement.
3: Furious at the death of 46-year-old George Floyd.
2: When is it really going to change? When
0: is- and then there's the stuff that elections always come down to, the
1: economy and jobs. Who can get the American economy roaring again? Yeah, fair enough. And, and that was something I was thinking about, actually, as so we started the prepping this episode. The reality TV aspects of the Trump presidency are just so... Overwhelming. You know, his racism, his misogyny, his 20,000 or more lies, his insults, the sexual assault allegations. So when you're assailed by that every day, you kind of forget that he's still a politician and a leader. And he has actually delivered on some of his policies in the US. Uh, there was an episode of The New York Times, The Daily, that just kind of stepped through it all. Wait, were you cheating on me with Michael Barbaro? Here's what else you need to know today. Yes, it was. Anyway, they pointed out that Trump had followed through on a bunch of his 2016 campaign promises. Tax cuts, slashing red tape, pulling down Obama-era environmental protections, quitting international treaties, increasing military spending. I mean, of course, you can still argue about whether these policies are actually good or not, but you can see how people who like those policies might be prepared to vote for him again, even if they had to hold their nose about some aspects of his character, and, and even if he hasn't got Mexico to pay for a wall, or even built much of a wall at all. So I guess the question we're all waiting to find out is, who's going to win? Well, the answer is, as ever, wait and see. But if you want to steer the polls at a nationwide level and at a state level have Biden ahead of Trump. But as everyone learnt in 2016, polls are, well, they're just polls. Nothing is guaranteed. The 538 website, which does a, an amazing job of churning through statistics and polls and making sense of them, pointed out that in the swing state which they predict is the most critical, which is Pennsylvania, Biden is ahead, but not by much. So little, in fact, that his lead is within the margin of error.
0: Yeah, and 538 also points out that even though they are forecasting a Biden victory, they've still left open the possibility of Trump winning. They put his chances like this. A little worse than the chances of rolling a one on a six-sided die and a little better than the chances
1: that it's raining in downtown Los Angeles. I love that framing of it. It's, it's a reminder that even if something is not very likely, even if it's only, you know, one in six, it can still happen. Just like 36 days a year in LA, it does rain. So you, you can't emphasize this enough. Unlikely things still happen. I would not be betting my house on anything right now. Didn't know you were a gambler, Eugene.
0: I'm not, which is actually another reason I wouldn't bet my house on it either, now you mention it.
1: All right, I think we've probably done about as much Kiwi explaining of the American election as we can get away with in one episode. So for this last section of the show we're going to turn to another American.
0: Yeah, Tracy Bunny is a Kiwi-American columnist based in Auckland. She's been voting in American elections all her life, sometimes stateside, sometimes from New Zealand. And she's been watching the Trump-Biden race especially closely.
1: But before we got into all of that, we asked her to explain something for the benefit of New Zealand listeners. Can you put the, the Democrats and the Republicans into a New Zealand context? You know, where would they sit compared to our political parties on the various spectrums? <laughs>
3: You know, if you asked me that four years ago, I could answer it really easily and say that national are Republicans and Democrats are Labour. But you know what? That no longer exists. I cannot describe any longer what the Republican Party represents.
1: Right. And and just to get this out of the way, how would you characterise your own politics generally? Is it it's safe to call you left-leaning, isn't it?
3: It's absolutely safe to call me incredibly nervous and... Terrified that Donald Trump will remain in office for another four years, and you can label that anything you want.
0: <laughs> there are some things that characterize the American election that that are always the same, and that's sort of the hoopla that goes around elections. Normally, it's a it's a huge day, isn't it? And everyone sort of comes. Well, well, tell us what it's like actually on election day in normal circumstances.
3: In normal circumstances, you go to vote just like Kiwis do, and you make it a little bit kind of. Lovely. You choose to vote at your local school or your local community hall, and you'll see your neighbors there and you'll chat with them. And it's always nice. And you tend to know about six of the 20 people there as neighbors that are working as election volunteers on the day. And it's quite charming. Uh, there's usually not a terribly long wait and you do your business and you feel like you've been a great citizen. You'll probably go to an election night party with friends and eat far too much junk food and, um, laugh hysterically about all the wrong things. Uh. But this time, um, everything has changed again. I really cannot stress enough the seismic shift in anxiousness during this election.
1: So can you, um, explain that fear to me from both sides. I mean, perhaps it's to do with the, the media diet that, that we reach in New Zealand, where there's, there's less of a, a Fox News culture. But um, from here, to me, it looks mostly as though the thing to fear is is more Trump. But obviously, the Republicans in the US fear a Biden presidency. So what do the Bidenites fear about Trump? What do the Trumpites fear about Biden?
3: I think what the Trumpites fear about Biden is They feel that he's going to be pushed by Kamala Harris into socialism, that he'll be a one-term president and that she will continue on. They fear that he will, for example, shut down fracking, that he will institute taxes for people under $400,000. He will fan the flames of Obamacare that they feel is a disaster. He will uh, potentially uh, change relations with uh, China and Russia again. There's probably a huge list on the same side, almost the exact same issues that people can say that Trump is, we fear about Trump as well. But let me go back for a second to election day, because I think that's really important if you don't mind. Hmm. For me, what's happening right now in this microcosm of election day is horrifying to see, which is where I, where before I described uh, me going to my local school and voting within a period of minutes as I did in New Zealand. What's happening now, especially in democratic precincts and precincts with people of color, is you're seeing lines that extend for blocks and blocks and blocks. And this is not just social distancing because the pandemic is raging. This is because we've seen governors be able to do things like put one voting drop box in an entire county in Texas that's had to go through the courts and has been upheld by Trump judges, for example. We've seen in Georgia, the disenfranchisement of black communities where people will be lined up for hours, uh, just trying to have their political voice heard.
1: I have to say we, we've talked to the electoral commission a few times and, and done little explainers about processes for voting in New Zealand. And if there was anything to worry about, it was that sometimes it got a bit boring, but then you compare it to the kind of this chaos and horror in in, in the U.S. They they can't seem to do the really simple stuff.
3: Let me go back. 2016. Do you mind if I just jump in here? Okay. 2016, about a month or two, a few months before the election, I'm in America. And let me give you three vignettes. Ready? First one, I'm staying at a Mormon family's house in Utah, and I asked them, who do you like? And the Mormon church had just come out against Trump. And that weekend, he had just been accused by 12 different women of sexual assault. The number has gone up to 26. And she said, I like Trump. And I said, you have four grown daughters. Doesn't it bother you that, you know, this is a man who might be representing America? And she said, oh, that's just politics. I think this man is actually going to be to the change we need. That's vignette one. Vignette two. I'm in a cab in Chicago, actually an Uber, with a Muslim immigrant. Who do you like? I like Trump, he said. Why, I ask. Well, actually, I think he's going to be good for the small working man. Vignette three. I'm on a train from Boston to New York, and I'm sitting across from a New York financier who's had a lot of conversations and meetings with Donald Trump in business. Who do you like, I ask? He said, you know what? Donald Trump is just a socially liberal Democrat, New York businessman in sheep's clothing. Don't worry about him. The stuff he says is just for media attention. Well, look at those three scenarios. All of them turned out to be the emperor was not wearing any new clothes. But the reality is that, in fact, what was really happening is all three of those people were dressing Donald Trump in their own clothes. One needed him to be the change they could believe in. One needed him to be good for the common man. One needed him to be the liberal, socially liberal New York Democrat. He was none of those things, except what voters had projected on him. People used to say to me, you know what, America got the president it deserved. And I always bristled at that comment. I always thought it was utterly unfair. Now in 2020, we didn't know then the man that we were going on a blind date with. Today we do. And this election is utterly, utterly about the character of our nation and what it's going to represent going forward. We
0: we wondered too what it's like, as an American abroad. How does it feel to be a politically engaged American so far from home in an election, which by any measure feels pretty important?
3: Devastating. Heart-wrenching. Acid reflux-inducing. Sad. Mm. I am a passionate American. I passionately believe that my country has the ability to be a progressive voice in the world. It has failed every step of the way these last four years. But I have always believed America has had the resilience to pick itself up and recreate its possibility. America is nothing if not possibility. And I remember in 2008 when Obama was first elected, And it was after the Bush years, which I thought at the time were some of my darkest political years that I had experienced as an adult. It was his presidency at the time represented reinventing that potential for good. We certainly have never attained it, but it was always that voice that was striving for it. Now, I simply am terrified that our democracy will not be able to withstand four more years of this man. He is disassembling the norms, the checks and balances, the value system that I have always believed in. And it cannot hold.
0: There's certainly a lot at stake. Tracy Barnett, thank you so much
1: for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure and hopefully a relief in a week.
1: That was the Tick Tick Podcast. Mo Te ferenga Anuku, Toru Te Co. Friday, October the 30th. I'm Adam Dudding, he's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Maria Armudian, Tracy Barnett, Dave Jack, Patrick Crutzen, and Carol Hirschfeld.
0: If you want to support Stuff's journalism financially, go to the link on the Stuff website, stuff.co.nz. Well, that was fun. If you are one of those people who hangs around to the end and keeps listening, thanks for tuning in. And I guess, you know, this could be our last episode. But then again, there is an
1: election in Myanmar on November the 8th. Who knows? Actually, uh, Ghana, Niger, in December. Um, there's a legislative election in Romania. Oh, British by-elections for the House of Lords, 31st December.